The following is presented by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. Well, it's been a pretty phenomenal event already tonight just to hear these truths put to music and to refresh our minds and hearts once again with these glorious realities of the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us. These truths never grow old, do they? We can hear them over and over and over again, and we are constantly reminded of what it cost Christ to come rescue us. This is what Christmas is about, the humiliation of our Savior, his condescension to come and dwell among us to rescue us. Unbelievable what our God has done to us in giving us this indescribable gift. I think we need to remember that uh, we're not just celebrating a holiday. Christ didn't come to create a holiday, right? He didn't come to give us an opportunity to have parties and celebrate and enjoy presents and all that comes with this season. He came to save. He came to rescue He came to redeem. This is what Christmas is all about. And so, in a sense, Christmas is every day for the Christian, right? We don't just gather once a year to reflect on the fact that he was born. Christmas is every day for us who know Christ. Phenomenal realities that we are celebrating tonight, and yet so few really truly grasp the significance of this event. And for just a few moments tonight, I want to focus our hearts. You've heard the theme all night about the king and the crown and his kingdom and the fact that he is coming again. These are the great realities that we celebrate at Christmas. And we need to hear these things because I think for many of us, this time of year highlights the sorrows that we reflect upon in this past year. Life in this world is not easy. And for some, this time of year brings about reminders of relational conflicts that have built up over the the years and over the months leading to this time of year. It's a celebratory time, but for some, it's a hard time. How, How do we have hope in the midst of that? And how do we have hope in the midst of this sin-sick world that we live in? Of course, the answer to that question is the king. The king who has come and laid his life down for us. That's really what we're celebrating here. The night 2,000 years ago when this baby arrived in a stable in a manger, there was no fanfare. There were no bells and whistles, no lights, other than the shining glory of the angels who came that evening. He looked like a normal baby, but he was a king. Actually, let me correct that. He was the king. Lying in that manger there that night in Bethlehem was the king of the universe. We know that because of what the Magi said. It said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And they came bearing gifts suitable for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so 
Christmas is about the king. It's about the arrival of the king who has come to establish his throne and rule and reign with all power and all authority one day. If you've been with us in our study of Matthew, this is the theme of Matthew. It is the king and his kingdom. And we've been looking at his life. We've been looking at his ministry. He's come to bring in a kingdom. Charles Hodge says the kingdom of Christ is not a democracy, nor is it an aristocracy, but it is truly a kingdom of which Christ is absolutely sovereign. Do you realize that baby was the creator of the universe? And promised all throughout the Old Testament is the fact that when the Messiah comes, he will establish his throne. And so for just a moment tonight, I want to take you to Psalm 110. If you have your Bibles, you can go there or grab your phones or whatever you want to do. Psalm 110. Bob actually read it this morning. And it is a psalm that reminds us of these realities. Written by David, it is a royal psalm. Royal psalms always point to the anointed king, sometimes referring to the earthly king, who was always a picture of the coming true king. This is Psalm 110, which anticipates the day when the true king arrives. It's easy to really understand the psalm. Verses 1 to 3 describe him as a warrior king. Verses 4 to 7 describe him as a priestly king. He's a king. So let me just draw your attention to a few of these verses. Verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David actually records a conversation that he overheard by divine revelation between God the Father, Yahweh, and God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And God the Father says to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is a promise of victory for the Davidic king. And he says, the Lord, Yahweh, the first person of the Trinity says to my Lord, that's David's Lord, that's Christ, that's the Messiah. The Lord says to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The right hand, of course, was the place of power and prominence and significance. God says to the son, sit here until I make your enemies a footstool. You, you see, the king would come and he would die, and he would raise back to life, and he would ascend to the Father, and he's been there since his ascension. That's where Christ is right now, at the right hand of the Father. But there's coming a day when he leaves. That's exactly what David mentions here in verse 1. You sit here until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You may remember in that day in the ancient Near East when kings conquered their enemies, they would put their feet on the necks of the conquered king or they would actually prop their feet up on the enemy themselves and use their enemies as a footstool. That's what he's talking about. It's a picture of complete subjugation. So Jesus, the king, is in heaven right now. He will return one day and when he returns, he will come to be the kingly king king that was promised in the Old Testament. 
And we know this because the psalm goes on to speak of this certain victory of the king. Look at verse 2, which says, The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. So Yahweh says to the son, he's going to stretch forth your strong scepter. The, the son is going to be able to reign and rule with all power from Zion. And the father is going to say to him, Rule in the midst of your enemies. That's power. That's might. That's strength. That's conquering king. Can I read another royal psalm? Just listen to Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heaven laughs. (laughs) The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, and I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. And he said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations as an inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. That's what's gonna happen when the king returns. And he's going to make his enemies a footstool. This is what's promised in Isaiah 9, 6. It was read earlier, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. That's a kingdom. That's authority. That's power. Notice verse 3, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. They, They think, most commentators do, that this is referring to the redeemed who come back with the king. And they're going to be as numerous as the dew on the ground. And they're going to accompany the Messiah. And they're going to return with him. And they're going to join him in the day of his power. That's a reference to the fact that believers one day will return with this king. He's a warrior king. He's a sovereign. And though this world looks like it's totally out of control right now, it is not. There is a sovereign king ruling over it, and he will return one day to establish his throne. So don't worry. He's a warrior king. He's also a priestly king. And that's what we see in the rest of this psalm. Look at verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So not only did he come to reign, he came to be a priest to represent God to men and men to God. But notice in this verse it says he had to become a priest forever. So he couldn't be in Aaron's line because that king or that line came to an end, that priestly line came to an end. He had to come in an eternal line of priests, so he came in the line of Melchizedek, who was both a priest and a king in one person, united in one individual. There is a type of Christ, this king from the old times in the Old Testament, who is both a priest and a king, and Jesus, the Messiah, comes as both a priest and a king, united in one person. And lastly, notice verses five and six, the Lord is at your right hand. Did you notice the shift? The son was at the right hand of the father. And the day is coming when the father will be at the right hand of the son. 
returning with all power and all authority. Verse five goes on to say, he will shatter the kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. That speaks of power and victory and a conquering king. So mark these words, this king came once and he came to be a priest to reconcile us to God, but he's coming again and he will conquer and he will establish his throne. Verse seven says he will drink from the brook by the wayside and he will lift up his head, speaking of his victory. This is the kingdom Christ came to usher in. 2,000 years ago, he came offering that kingdom. And he was rejected. But that doesn't mean the kingdom's done. It just means he's coming again. And when he comes, he will establish his throne and he will conquer his enemies and he will take his rightful reign. So my question to you is, do you realize this? Do you realize that baby is truly the king of the universe? Now here's one more thing I want you to think about. Kings have kingdoms. And who make up kingdoms? People. So how do you get to be part of that kingdom? Here's what we all need to understand. First, we need to understand we're not a part of that kingdom. The Bible tells us very clearly that we have all broken God's law. We have offended a holy God. We have sinned against him. And the way to become a part of this kingdom is you have to be perfect. Because the king's perfect, the father's perfect, so if you want to become a part of this kingdom, here's the deal. You just have to be perfect. You see the problem? None of us are. We actually belong to Satan's kingdom. That, that's our king. That's the one we worship. He's the one that we bow down to. Ephesians 2, 2 says we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We belong to that kingdom by nature. We come into this world as sinners, separated from God, in the kingdom of Satan. And if we die in that kingdom, we will experience eternal separation from the Father because of his wrath and his holiness against sin. The good news, though, is, of course, as we're celebrating this night, is that God made a way for us to avoid that judgment because the king is also a savior. He's a priest. He came to lay down his life to make a way for citizens to transfer their allegiance from the kingdom of Satan to his kingdom. He came, he lived a perfect life. He's the God-man, God in human flesh, 100% God, 100% man. He lived in perfection before the holy God. He then went to the cross. He paid for our sin as a punishment for our sin. He rose from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He will come and reign and rule over all, with all authority one day, and he invites anyone to become a part of that kingdom if they will repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you don't submit your life to Jesus Christ, you still belong to the old king. But if you come humbly, acknowledging your sin, repenting of that sin, placing your faith, your trust, your full allegiance in the Lord Jesus Christ, then to all who receive them, he gave the right to become children of God. And you can transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what Christmas is about. 
And so the question I pose to you tonight is what kingdom do you belong to? There's only two kingdoms, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan. And you all belong, and all of us here tonight belong to one of them. You don't have to do anything to belong to Satan's kingdom. You just have to be born with a sinful nature, which we all are. And so the only way to become a part of Christ's kingdom is you transfer your allegiance. Repent of your sin. You place your trust in Christ. And you can know him not only as your king, but also your savior. And when he returns to establish his kingdom, we get to be with him. And we get to rule and reign alongside of him. Friends, that's what Christmas is about. It's not just a holiday. It's not just a hallmark event. It's the arrival of the king who came to be a priest, to lay his life down to rescue sinners. So do you know Christ? Have you trusted, entrusted your life to him? And are you confident that one day you will see your king face to face? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for these realities. These are glorious, glorious truths. And Father, we acknowledge that we once belonged to the kingdom of darkness. And we don't just automatically get to be a part of this kingdom that your son has come to usher in. It's only by allegiance to Christ. It's only by allegiance to his reign, to submitting our lives to him, to embracing him, to knowing him to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that each person in this room and each person listening would be at a point where they know you. If not, Lord, resurrect their dead hearts, replace their dead hearts, give them a new heart. Let them see the glory of God in the face of Christ, and may they come to know this wonderful, glorious King. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for all the music and all the reminders of the fact that your son is a warrior king and a priest who is also our savior. It's in his name we pray, amen. You've been listening to Presented at Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan, where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.